All right, welcome to we're, we're calling this what is it? Learning the last dance, Ricky? I love it. I love it. So the last dance if if you're new to this, I don't know why you're on this pod is the Michael Jordan documentary that documents the 1997-1998 Bulls season. Their last season where they're trying to get their sixth championship and I've been consumed with the idea of this story. Of course, this is being taken like this. We're recording this in the COVID-19 era. So we're all isolated in quarantine. We're dying. Uh, It's probably the wrong word to use, but we're desperate for (laughs) we're desperate for sports, Ricky. And and you're you've always been a basketball guy. So this is the perfect person to do this with. Yeah, I've always been a basketball guy. And, and, you know, ESPN has been holding on to this for since 97, 98, when they took all this footage. And it's been, uh, you know, rumored to be in development forever, and they finally put it out. And then it wasn't supposed to come out till May. And then, yeah, again, with, with COVID-19, they're like, everyone is like, put this out, put this out, put this out. We need content. And they, uh, they, they came out with it early. So they're doing the two episodes every week for five weeks. Man. And, well, let's just dive right in. So you know basketball. You understand the Bulls and a bit more of their journey. For me... I know Michael Jordan basketball. I know within the past three years, probably like I'm relatively new to the phenomenon that is the the new NBA. So this is all brand new to me. All I know, Ricky, honestly, was in NBA Jam. I'm picking the Bulls. That's who I picked every time. Scottie <laughs> Pippen and Jordan. That was that was the extent of it. So first first thoughts when you dove into this. Well, well, like you said, like you're you're just getting into basketball. I've had I can't re- I can't recall exactly how many, but it was it was double digits. As many people reached out to me when the Raptors made their run last year, that either said, you know, I've never gotten into basketball, but I'm really getting into it now. This is awesome. Or I haven't got I haven't watched any basketball since Michael Jordan played, and and so for this to come back out and and kind of tie the two eras together, I think is going to be really awesome just to see, you know, the people maybe like you who never got to experience the nineties bulls and the people that like my friends that are older, you know, in their forties that grew up watching Jordan because he was the most amazing basketball player ever. And then kind of fell out of love with basketball and then, or maybe just getting back into it again because of the Raptors or, you know, the Warriors and Steph Curry and whatnot. And they get to relive those nineties bulls. And so this documentary took place. It was an agreement with NBA Entertainment and Michael Jordan and the rest of the team. This was only going to get released. This was the agreement, which is unprecedented. If Jordan and the NBA both agreed on what it would look like. So this footage has just sat. No one has used it. No one has looked at it. No one has, has had access to it until, okay, this works for both of us. And I know for Jordan's perspective, he was concerned because – Obviously, he, there's language involved in it. You're getting the real raw Michael Jordan in this whole thing. There's F-bombs and all, which which I love, Ricky. As, as a hockey fan, when HBO did the Road to the Winter Classic stuff, the right. early stuff where they had real access to it, that's what we crave as sports fans. So to be given a time capsule like this, to have what I'm confident calling the greatest dynasty in sports history, to have access to see the inner workings of it, it's just blowing my mind. It's amazing. And when they, you know, the beginning of that, of the show where they go through like, all right, obviously you have Michael Jordan. Then you also have Scottie Pippen. And then you have Steve Kerr. And then you have Dennis Rodman. And it's like, they just keep going through the guys. You have Phil Jackson. Like you have all these giant, you know, names in, in basketball and sports 
all on the same team, all interacting, all coming back together for like this one final season. It's just amazing to like, you're just like, all right, buckle up your seatbelts. Here we go. What's going to happen? And, you know, basketball fans, we know kind of what happens, but again, like you're saying to see what's going to happen throughout the whole season. Um, and they're going through it like game by game preseason. Um, it's going to be awesome to see the inner workings and how, um, how, you know, Phil Jackson is kind of the mastermind of, of bringing all these, you know, different uh, personalities together to form a, a championship team. I'm excited to see where that's going to go. Let's start right there with Phil Jackson. So the reason this documentary is called The Last Dance is Phil Jackson, who had won up to this point five NBA championships, one of the greatest coaches in the NBA. He actually, I'm going to correct you. He had won six because he won one as a player. Okay. The last so, one with the last the last time the New York Knicks won a championship, he was on the team. He's he's extra famous then. But like you're diving into this and you're hearing the story of this guy, the general manager, Jerry Krause. Okay. And Jerry Krause has been, I'm going to call him the architect, the yeah. architect of bringing in Jordan and bringing in the pieces around Jordan to win these championships. But the documentary in episode one, which we're going to cover today, kind of starts with this falling out between Phil Jackson and Jerry Krause. And, and you're confused going, wait a minute, you guys have won five championships together. And you might not bring Phil Jackson back. Like you're talking about blowing up and, and rebuilding a team that literally just won the NBA championship. Right. And that's, and that's, they've, they've kind of glossed over it. And I remember this pretty vividly actually, because this was my, this is the summer between grade eight and grade nine for me. And I remember like Rodman's holding out for more money. Pippen's upset because he's not getting paid that much money. Plus he's going to have to get some surgery done at some point that he's not doing. Phil Jackson is not under contract and everyone's sitting around going, well, what's going to happen here? Like they just won two in a row after Jordan comes back from his baseball hiatus. And are they really not, are they really not going to bring this team back? Like pony up some dollars and bring everyone back and let's, let's, let's go. Right. And that that's one of the first thing is, is Jordan's in there and he's like, we deserve the right to defend what we have. And Krause is like, yeah, you know, some of these guys might be getting, you know, on an age. Maybe it's time to do a rebuild. And and I know you and me are both Patriots fans, and that's kind of like Belichickian to say, well, these guys might not be worth what they're paid, so let's get rid of them and, and try and bring in some new guys. But, you know, looking back now, it just seems so insane that it's like you have Michael Jordan, who's still only like early 30s, He's way younger than LeBron is right now. Mm -hmm. And you're like, yeah, maybe it's time for a rebuild. <laughs> what, are you, what are you talking about? It doesn't make any sense looking it's back at it now. And at the time, it was like, it doesn't make sense to anybody then either. It's crazy to think about because obviously if you're Jerry Krause, you want to win. And you have this belief that you've, you are a big part of why you won, right? Right. And I think there's always this disconnect between players and, and management. And one thing I love about Jordan, the story they tell in the first episode, is this guy wants to win. The idea of, we talk about failing for lottery picks now and mailing it in, that is anti his DNA. He wants to get out there and win, and he's a pure competitor. And I mean, honestly, Jerry, you got lucky because you drafted Michael Jordan. That's a big reason for your success. 
but the way the documentary paints this Jerry Krause general manager is that he he's insecure and he wants credit. Do you buy that, Ricky? Well, it's hard to it's hard to say, right? Like they they, they need they the the directors need to frame a narrative here that you know why is this greatest dynasty in the history of sports? Why is this the last dance? Why are they saying, all right, at the end of this year, it's done? And they're saying it's because of this Jerry Krause general manager who's saying, I mean, he's he's on record right here saying, yeah, we, we, we finally agreed to give Phil Jackson $6 million for one more year, but this will be his last year coaching the Bulls. Like, that doesn't make any sense. It's like here's, zero sense. Here's, your, here's the best coach in NBA history or NBA history right now. And before the season even starts, he's like, yeah, this is your last season. I don't care if you guys win. I don't care if you win 82, if you go 82 and 0. I don't care if you don't lose a game, you're out. That was the quote. <laughs> what? Like, that doesn't make, like, I. what other sport would you ever see that in, right? Hey, Scotty Bowman, we'd love to have you back at Detroit, but uh, how about one more year? We don't care if you win every game, uh, you're out after this one. <laughs> that to me was, that was the moment where I realized from Krause's perspective that this is personal. Whatever. Right. And I'm not saying Phil Jackson is completely innocent in this. I'm not. But what I'm saying is, Jerry, your job is to put a team together that can win championships. And if they go 82-0, and 0, that is a good thing for your job. And if you're going to turn the page and bring in some guy named Tim Floyd anyway, this doesn't make sense. So if, if you haven't watched the whole thing, like there's a moment where Jerry Krause's daughter is getting married. And on the guest list is the entire Bulls team sans <laughs> – Phil Jackson, right? He's not. He's not invited. He's like, cool. I don't. I don't need to go to a wedding. But Kraus invites this new guy, Tim Floyd, who everyone believes he's grooming. And Ricky, you looked into his coaching career. He wasn't a very good coach. Yeah. So they brought in Tim Floyd the year after. I think he was there for four, maybe yeah, four seasons. His his NBA coaching career, forty nine and one hundred and ninety. For a 205 winning percentage, he's barely over the Mendoza line in winning basketball games. I don't, I don't think there's, I don't think there's a team in the NBA that finishes with a less than 205 winning percentage in the league more than you know maybe a third of the time. And he lasted four years, maybe it's three years, but whatever it was, it was like he was hot garbage. And and again, it's like. Krause is like, okay, well, I got this coach who thinks really good, but I'm going to push Phil Jackson out. Jordan goes on record saying, I'm not playing for anyone except Phil Jackson. Scottie Pippen's contract is up, which we get into in, in episode two. And he's just like, yeah, no problem. I'm a, I'm a super smart GM. We'll, we'll deal with it. Um, I, I'll just, you know, spoiler alert, the Bulls have not won an NBA championship since Michael Jordan left in 1998. Um, I don't think that's much of a spoiler, but you know, it's, it's like, how do you just, you know, take for granted that you have the best player, not only the best player in the league at the time, but the best player who, who has ever played. Plus you have another top, you know, top 25, top 30 all time guy in Scottie Pippen. And you're like, yeah, whatever, <laughs> like, let them go. And I'll make some good draft picks that, you know, the arrogance to do that is just, uh, it's just it's just crazy to think about. I mean, you're kind of seeing it now in the NBA where players are kind of doing similar things, right? Like you have, uh, you know, Kevin Durant who who went to the to the uh, Golden State Warriors to try and win a couple of championships, and he mm-hmm. won he won two in three years. But then he won, he's like, okay, well this 
this isn't my team. I want to do this on my own. So he's, he's on his way to Brooklyn now and we'll see what happens. You know, that's going to be interesting if he's able to come back when the NBA resumes in June or July or whatever. And oh, maybe I never thought about that. Maybe they can make a run. Yeah. It's going to, who knows what's going to happen right now with all this stuff, but there's some, there's some players, you know, and then you have, uh, you have players that are hurt that are going to be able to come back depending on what they do with the, uh, the playoff situation. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it doesn't make sense to, you have, you know, probably top three coach of all time in Phil Jackson, if not top one or two. Um, and then you have Jordan, you have Pippen, you have Rodman, you have all these guys who are, and it wasn't like, it's like you can look back now and say, Oh yeah, those guys are really good. Maybe we should have kept them together. It's like, everyone was saying this at the time. Why are you trying to blow this up? And it's funny. I was watching this with my son and they show the first picture of Jerry Krause and he goes, daddy looks like the penguin. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, he's quite short, especially compared to the basketball players. And throughout the documentary, they're making fun of his height in the narrative of the documentary is that, that the players don't trust the management and Krause because they, Krause is getting rid of Jackson and, and you can see it now, of course, Having worked in video, you, you understand there's editing involved, but there is some sort of tension there that you can see playing out in, in episode two with Scottie Pippen. But I want to come yeah. back to something you said about the Bulls never having won post-Jordan era. Well, right. I didn't know this, but they never won pre-Jordan era either. In fact, no. they were terrible. And they used the example that the Chicago Sting, I think it's a female <laughs> soccer indoor soccer team, was outdrawing the Bulls before Jordan got there. That, in my mind, was just insanity to yeah. think that that and, was reality. And that's back in the era where the NBA wasn't very big. You, um, I mean, you got to call call it what it is. There was racism rampant at that time. And white America didn't want to watch a bunch of black, black basketball players. And there was cocaine issues. And, like, that was back when... You know, you had one game a week maybe on on national broadcast and you'd have even the NBA finals are being tape delayed and you just didn't have anything in real time. And it was kind of a, you know, you, they talk about the big four in sports and it might not have, I mean, it probably wasn't as big as the NHL back then. Um, and then you bring in Magic Johnson and Larry Bird and they bring, you know, they kind of bring everyone back into watching basketball and then Jordan comes in out of nowhere and just explodes the league through the mid to late eighties. And then you get into the, you get into the nineties and Jordan in his prime. And, you, you know, you have the Pistons and the 76ers and you get into the Phoenix suns. And it's just like, all of a sudden the league explodes and it's just this huge thing. That's becomes this giant cash cow, which is still pales in comparison to what it is now as a, you know, a truly global sport. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, just funny to think about, you know, 30 years ago, the joke, you know, the league was a joke. If you're interested, do a deep dive into David Stern and what he did for the NBA. He's a huge reason why the NBA grew the way it did. And, of course, he just passed away. I I could not get enough of his perspective right. of what he did for the NBA to make it what it was. And we'll get into this in the next episode where Scotty Pippen took a, a big risk with a a stable contract, you know, decent money over long-term years. But yeah. when the economics change, that means nothing. I want to ask you, though, about some observation from this show that I, that I picked up on, and I think you did too. You wrote down in your notes, 
this might be the worst era for suits ever. Oh, my God. Huh? Like, they're terrible. I couldn't get past it. You're in Paris, Michael Jordan, and it looks like you're wearing a burlap sack. How does how do you get a giant baggy suit on a dude that's six six? The like jacket hangs down to his knees. My daughter is killing herself laughing, and I show her all my notes at the end. And I'm like, "What was your favorite part?" And like, "What was you, like, what was the note that you thought of most?" And she's like, "Worst error for suits ever." Like that was hilarious, and like the suit he wears when he goes on that French television show. The French guy is wearing like it seems like a normal like sport jacket and a suit and a you know dress shirt, and Jordan comes in with like a nine button jacket down to his <laughs> knees, and it looks like he's wearing his giant dad's suit. It, that's exactly my thought. It looks like he stole his dad's suit, and his dad must have been eight feet tall. <laughs> dad was Goliath, exactly. <laughs> Oh man, I howl that. Of course, you got you got the old school fashion of Michael Jordan wearing the backwards or the uh, the Kangol like, hat. But like, yeah, like some of the fits he was wearing outside, like just walking down the street in Paris and whatnot. He's got his Kangol hat or he's got his little beanie on, and I'm like, okay, that is like that's still. If you wore that out today, that's on trend, as the kids say, or fire. But then he puts on these suits, and you're like, whoa, what are you? doing oh man it was oh. so bad as well okay so if again if you haven't seen it the modern day michael jordan is being interviewed in this in this documentary did you notice how much scotch he's drinking in this in these episodes like he's got a massive drink of scotch yeah i'm talking like if you want to talk fingers i'm talking four or five fingers of scotch to get through these interviews four or five nba player fingers too. yeah like full-on <laughs> sausage paws Fingers of scotch. Like, he is getting into it for a guy who never even drank when he first came into the league. And his eye, I don't know if you know, his eyes look, like, so red. So I'm not sure if he's, you know, drunk or high or just has been, like, if they are filming some of these parts after they've gone through, like, an emotional part and he's been teary-eyed or whatever. But his eyes are, like, red. Like, it looks like me after I watched uh, What's the New Disney Movie? Onward. Oh man, I bawled my eyes out through that. Movie. Did you really? Are you recommending that? Oh I man, yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. But yeah, prepare to uh, prepare to hide some uh, sniffles in front of your kids. That's for sure. Oh man, Disney owns me anyway, so. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and I'm interested to see like they show all these old Jordan clips of him in like North Carolina. He's this like kind of soft spoken. Uh, I use the word. I use the quoted like hockey talk. Right. Like he's just kind of like doing everything for the team and I'm just happy to work hard and all this kind of stuff. And and then even they go into like that cocaine story where he he shows up to the, you know, a team hotel room and it's full of, you know, cocaine and weed and prostitutes and like all this kind of stuff. And he's just like, I'm just going to leave now. And he just seemed like this sweet little innocent kid. And then all of a sudden they like flash forward to this like gangster 55-year-old billionaire sitting there smoking his cigar, drinking his scotch. In Tony Montana's mansion. Yeah, and he's just like the absolute like coolest, raddest dude. Um, Like when does that – I'm interested to see if over the next nine episodes if they kind of show that transformation of – you know, yeah, I know I'm good at basketball and I might like talk a little trash, but then all of a sudden it's like, you know – 
by those first couple championships, he was like, I'm the man. I'm coming at you. I'm going to score whenever I want. I'm going to rip your heart out. And thanks for, you know, putting on a show, but I'm going to take your championship from you. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder Ricky, if it, if it actually took place post-NBA. Because I hear these stories about fantastic athletes who have worked there and lived their entire life since they were a kid to accomplish this one goal of, you know, being the best at playing in the show or whatever. And so I've heard this with, with Wayne Gretzky, that when he transitioned out of hockey, it was very, very hard on him. And then he turned to alcohol for a period of time. And so I wonder if Jordan is doing the same thing where he's trying to cope with this new reality of I'll never be relevant that way again, or I just want to be in front of a crowd. And I did hear that with the filming of this, that Jordan was concerned about his image, where are people going to think differently of me when they get to see the real me? And if Jordan was here, I would say, Jordan, I'm going to think more of you by showing me the real you, whether that's you drinking tons of scotch or in, in, in a massive cigar in a, in a mansion, or you in the, your North Carolina days where you're a rookie that is completely new and green to the world. Just give me the real you and I will accept you. Yeah, I, like I would, I would, I would definitely think that he he had that persona change before he retired. Like, you, like you think of some of these again. You're just you're just kind of discovering basketball, but you if you ever can find footage of like the Bulls versus the Pistons in like the late '80s, early '90s, like there was that's what the Jordan rules are all about. I don't know if you've heard that term, but it was like the Pistons, the bad boy Pistons, Bill Lambeer and. And Dennis Rodman, when he played there, they were just like no easy buckets for Jordan. If he comes down the lane, you put him on his, you know, on your on his butt. And there's like the types of fouls Jordan would take back in the early or in the late '80s, early '90s. They would get people kicked out of the kicked out of the game and suspended. Now, mm. and he's taking them and just walking to the free throw, shooting his two free throws. But that's when he like started really, really focusing on you know putting on some muscle. And getting bigger, getting stronger, and you know that kind of really changed how basketball is played. With guys being like, "Okay, I can't just be tall and semi-athletic. I need to put work into my body to excel at this kind of, you know, at this sport." So it's funny, like, and you're saying like maybe worried about people not knowing who he was. Where I, I put in my notes here that my son, who's nine. Couldn't he? He's trying to figure out that Michael Jordan is the same person that started Nike Air Jordan, mm. and he like he couldn't figure it out. He's like, wouldn't it be funny if Michael Jordan wore Air Jordans? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I'm like, that's that's where he's like. So Nike just made a whole brand for him, and I'm mm-hmm. like, well. They did eventually, but at first it was just like a Nike pair of shoes, the Jordans, and then they became the Air Jordans. And like, he just like, I, he couldn't figure it out. So to think back now, where like Jordan, Jordan brand is not even basketball, it's everything. Like, they sponsor college football teams now and like everything. So, um, like a nine year old, my nine year old son, who's pretty into basketball and sports, not huge, huge, but knows it. He knows who Michael Jordan is. But he, if you ask him what an Air Jordan shoe is, he would know that way more than anything besides Michael Jordan played for the Bulls. That's about all he knows. So, like, Jordan is the most, like, most wealthy athlete of all time because of the Jordan brand. Which and, is 
funny because it'll come out in the next episode with, with Scotty Pippen where he complains about his contract. And you feel bad for Scotty Pippen. And then when you realize, I went and did some research after I watched because it just was like, I can't believe Scotty Pippen was done that way. Right. Only to find out that Pippen made more money in his career in basketball than Jordan did. Really? Yeah. At the end of the day, Scotty Pippen made about 10 or 11 million, maybe nine to $11 million more than Michael Jordan did in terms of contracts. That's crazy because, um, like, I know, well, J- Jordan played a little bit less, right? He took time off here and there, but he was making, what did they say? He was making $36 million in 1998. And, like, mm-hmm. that's, that number is, re- is like, insane, even in. That's in, still quite high now, right? Like, there's people. There's people making like mid forties now because the salary, the you know salary cap has gone up so much. But like that, you know, never mind inflation and all that stuff that you have to take in over the next, you know, the last twenty years to make thirty six million. Like I don't, I don't know what what would like if if he's making thirty six, Pippen's making like one point three. Uh, Rodman's probably making a couple million or whatever. He was holding out for more, but it's like, was their salary cap sixty million dollars even? And Jordan's making thirty six of it, and he was still underpaid. <laughs> it's so crazy to think about. And that's you know, kind of back before they had the max contracts that they have now. And but yeah, he was. I mean, he was the best player to ever play. Okay, Michael Jordan. College days, high oh school my days, North Carolina, Jordan. This is all brand new to me. Okay, I knew he played for North Carolina. Didn't know that he, I didn't know he won the championship, yeah. especially the way he did. And what I love about that story is Michael Jordan explaining that hitting that shot to win the championship gave him confidence. It gave him the confidence to really continue to step out of what he was doing. I'm like. Man, you were so good even then. And they talk about the transition before he made that shot, he was Mike. Yeah. And after that shot, he was Michael Jordan. And I just thought that was a really cool way to describe what was happening to this guy. Yeah. And so they, they do that interview with James Worthy, who I'm assuming you don't really know who that is. No idea. So James Worthy was on that team. He would have been the junior, the senior, like marquee player of that North Carolina team. So he goes on to be drafted by the LA Lakers, and he's a big part of that Showtime Lakers 80s dominance with, you know, with Magic Johnson and and all those guys. And he's in the Hall of Fame. Like, he's one of the all-time – he's probably one of the 100 greatest NBA players of all time. Hmm. And he's talking about how Jordan would play one-on-one with him as a freshman after practices. And he's like, I was better than Jordan for two weeks. (laughs) And he was better than me. And this is like a top 100 player of all time saying that. Right. And then and then they go into after he gets drafted right before the 84 Olympics and Bobby Knight, the you know, legendary coach from Indiana is the is the coach. Anger management, Bobby Knight. Oh, man, I love Bobby Knight. <laughs> I've coached I've coached probably like 15 years. Worth oh, of yeah, sports. I forgot that you coach. I've coached like 15 years worth of sports, 15 seasons worth of sports. And every season I've wanted to throw a chair for sure. And Bobby actually did it. But so you respect him for that. I respect him for it. Yeah. Okay. But he's sitting there in '84, going, "This is the best basketball player I've ever seen," and like that's when Magic's playing, Larry Bird's playing, Abdul Jabbar's still playing, Dr. J's still playing. Like 
all these amazing basketball players are still playing. Bobby Knight's seen them all. And he's like, yeah, uh, Michael Jordan's the best player I've ever seen. And it's just like when you watch some of these old highlights, and that was that was what my like my son Milo, again, he's nine. That was his favorite part is when they did that like 30-second montage of him just hitting insane shots. Hitting insane shots and like he rejects, he does that one rejection and hits his head on the backboard. It doesn't make any sense. And and then so there's the there's kind of that 30-second clip, and then the 30-second clip a little bit later when he's you know, he's in Chicago and he's doing the dunk contest with his like double looped gold chain. And he's just, and like his eyes are just like saucepans just sitting there looking at the TV, like, Oh my God. And like the, the athleticism back then, you can see this guy just jumping over everybody or he's like going side to side and then jumping, faking a shot. And then as he's falling to the ground, he's shooting. It's like, nobody's ever, you haven't seen that before. Dr. J did some of that stuff, but not, not the way Jordan was doing it. And uh, so just to like, think about this freakish athleticism back then, but then they've also talked about, you know, all the hard work he would put in and you see that as his career progresses, where he's, he adds, he's adding, you know, new moves, new shots to his game all the time. One of my favorite perspectives in this is when they humanize people, like obviously Michael Jordan, and they have his uh, was it Jordan Reed oh, the letter man. that he wrote to his mom. So funny, asking for stamps, and I only have twenty dollars in my bank account. Please send money. I'm yeah. like, this guy sounds like a regular college student, minus the fact that he wants one hundred and forty stamps. Well, it's funny. It's like it's almost like he, uh, you know, in Three Amigos where they have to send the telegram, and they're like, oh, it's too long. We'll send the ten peso version. It's like, hi, mom. How are you? Hope you're well. I'm fine. <laughs> I need money. Here's my account. Love you. P.S. Send stamps. Sorry for the phone bill. It's like, really? Like, you wouldn't be like, write out a whole letter? Like, <laughs> like seems like it was just like a little bit of everything, right? So, yeah, he's asking his mom for stamps because he only got $20. So, he needs stamps so he can send letters. Obviously, no email, no cell phone texting, no FaceTime, no Zoom meetings, None of this stuff that we're having to learn how to do right now. But I, I, yeah, I did the math and it's like a new pair of Jordans are basically 150 bucks. So that would, that would buy one pair of his known, his own shoes and buy 140 stamps right now. <laughs> it's just, um, but imagine the thought, what's going through his mind, him reading this letter that he wrote to his mom, you know, 50 years ago, yeah. 40 years ago, asking for stamps, mom, I have $20 in my bank account. In the context, Ricky, of him in this multi-million dollar mansion, like money will never be a problem. It hasn't been no. a problem for, for Jordan in, in decades. Yeah. Like that was just such a stark contrast to me to go, man, when you make it in the NBA, things change quickly for yeah. you. Yeah, and it was, it's, it's interesting Like when they talk about him like showing up for Bulls camp and it's like, all right, after you know, a couple of practices, everyone's like, oh, you know what? He's the best player on our team. Or, you know, this, and that goes back to this, this era where everyone's expected to be at college for all four years or maybe just three. So he was there for three years and they're like, you know what? I think you should skip your senior year and go into the NBA because you could be a top three pick. And his rookie contract, I looked it up was $550,000. Wow. Which is like, it's still a lot of money, especially back, you know, 1984, but 
to think about, and he's he like he says, well, I was ready to go back for senior year, but they're like, no, you should go to the NBA draft. And they talk about him being the best player right now, but then you look at okay, well, after you know, if if it was if it was today, and you have this promising rookie hit the game winning shot in the NCAA tournament, he's going to the NBA. He's he's declaring eligibility for the draft like the next day. Right, mm-hmm. and he might not be the best player on that NBA team year one or year two, but year three he would be, and that's more or less what it is. Is you have this guy who should have been in the NBA a year or two earlier, but he sticks in college and gets a little bit better and a little bit better. But you know, you almost wonder, okay, if he would have gone to call, if he would have gone in the NBA after his first year, would he have been even better? <laughs> you're getting more practice. You're not having to worry about school. You're getting to Spend more time working on your body, working on your game. Could you imagine? Right. Uh, okay, so one thing I want to ask or, or point out in this documentary that I thought was really neat was just the amount of people that they got involved. Right, You've yeah. got Michael Wilbon. You've got Barack Obama. You've got everyone that had a perspective on Michael Jordan is involved in this interview. And I feel like because they put so much work into it and we get so many perspectives, that's one of the reasons that I'm really enjoying this, but you've got, who is it? Hannah storm. And oh man. So they start off with like Hannah storm and Ahmad Rashad. And those like everyone who's listening to this right now, all six people of you that grew up in the nineties, watching NBA jam or NBA inside stuff. That was Saturday mornings. NBC. It was on like, 1030 so it's like perfect timing you get up you'd watch your you know your little kid cartoons and whatnot but then at 1030 it was nba inside stuff and they'd recap the week of basketball because there was no like now we have nba tv we have tsn we have sportsnet we have sportsnet 360 yeah, you've got it all like now. there's an nba game on every night you know as long as there's not a pandemic going on um so you like my whole NBA was like Saturday mornings at 1030 and NBA games on Sundays after the NFL was done. And you might, you might get the odd, you would get the odd um, Raptors game on like CBC or CTV. I can't remember which one it was at the time, but even that didn't start to like 96, 95, 96, whatever it was. So that you were watching like all of my, basically all of my memories of basketball were playoffs because that's when all the games would they be broadcast on TV. them. Gotcha. But but you would like you would miss so much and not know what was going on really. And other than like, oh man, I remember my old leader post flipping it over, checking the NBA scores as I ate my breakfast every morning. Right. But you really love basketball. Oh man, it was the best. So was Jordan your guy? So Jordan was definitely one of my guys. Like he was. He was the guy that everybody liked Jordan. Everybody loved Jordan. Everyone knew that Jordan was the best. You go to your basketball camps. You go to Big Slam basketball camp. You go to Hoops in the Heat. You go to all these basketball camps. And at lunchtime, it was, you know, everyone gathered around the little thing. Just like school, they wheel out the TV on the trolley. And you're putting on your Michael Jordan highlight tape. And you're eating your lunch watching Jordan highlights. And, like, that's it was amazing. So Jordan was always... The guy that everyone knew, everyone knew was the best. Reggie Miller was my favorite player. Wow. Um, shoots threes, talks trash, 
It was he was the best. He was kind of a little bit of like Allen Iverson before Iverson was around. Um, just like in your face, talking trash. Just he was so much fun to watch. He's part of like, you know, he was played for the Indiana Pacers. They were they were one of the, you know, the top three or four teams in the Eastern Division every year. So they'd be up against the Bulls or the or the Knicks. Um, you know, Patrick Ewing and oh man, there's just so many great battles back then. Um, but again, it's like most you you'd kind of follow what was going on in the NBA through NBA inside stuff and you know, you get a little bit of like the TSN Sports Center, that kind of stuff, but um I mean that was still back when hockey was everything, so you would have to stick around till you know the forty minute mark of the hour show to get yeah, any it's, basketball it's, highlights. Like, it's the equivalent of looking for hockey highlights on Sports Center in the States now. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So it was it's like huge game in the NBA tonight, but first here's thirty five minutes of Leafs highlights. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, oh man. Oh, exactly. Uh, and your kids, your kids, uh, a funny moment. So Barack Obama, former president oh, of the yeah. United States, is in this. But they list him as former Chicago resident, which I thought yeah. was funny because obviously <laughs> he loves Michael Jordan. Yeah. So both my kids were – I watched it actually like with – I've watched this three times. I watched it by myself. I watched it with my son. And I watched it with my daughter. Awesome. And both times I'm watching it with my kids, they're kind of like half paying attention. My daughter's doing some crafts. My son's on his iPad. And as soon as Barack shows up, they're just like, Barack Obama? <laughs> <laughs> and like, like, okay, a couple of white kids from Saskatchewan and weren't even really alive when he was president. And they're like, oh, President Barack Obama. <laughs> the power of Barack Obama. The power. What's, is, what's awesome is my, my son used to call him the Rock Obama. That's funny. <laughs> I like that. There was one statement you have it written down here that Michael Wilbon said about the greatest ever. Right. He said, you've got Babe Ruth, Ali, and Jordan. That's it. That's yeah. that's the list. And I was like, I know I'm I, I'm up here in Canada, but I'm like, what about Gretzky? What yeah. about Pele maybe? Like, it's not just the three of them. You've got to put Gretzky in the list, don't you? I think so. Like, especially up in Canada, right? Like Gretzky, Gretzky, Lemieux. Bobby Orr, like they're all up there, up there. And I think, you know, you might put, uh, you might Gordy put Howe. Kobe. Well, yeah. Oh, Gordie Howe is, you know, legendary. You have Gordie Howe. And then in basketball, you have, um, you might have Kobe now. Um, and then you're going to have LeBron once, once he finishes his career, which could be a couple more years for sure. Right. Mm-hmm. And then Babe Ruth, you have other great players, like my favorite player, um, well, you have like Teddy Williams and you have all these, uh, just amazing players, but Babe Ruth is still above him, right? Like you have, he was the only baseball player in, uh, in the Sandlot, right? <laughs> yeah, which gives him extra points. It's extra funny because at work, yeah, I do sports radio for, for a living. We're doing the go bracket, the greatest of all time of the greatest of all time. So 64 of the greatest athletes or greats in any sport ever. And so we're walking through a lot of this, and right now we're moving to the second round tomorrow. And I'm confident as I watch this, and the documentary has helped me a little bit with this, but I've been thinking about who is going to be the ultimate goat of goats. Right. And I landed on Michael Jordan. After all is said and done, I landed on Michael. Like, Tom Brady has six championships over over 20 years, and he could get seven. Who knows? He doesn't have the same. Hey, hey. 
Gronk's back. I, I did see that. <laughs> Are we surprised? Julian Edelman will be next. You watch. But I was like, you know what? He did it, but does it feel like he did it? Like, I know that he actually he went yeah, out there and threw the right. ball and made the passes, but he won with some great defenses. Michael yeah. Jordan absolutely altered the sport itself and won three straight times twice with a, a weird vacation to baseball in the middle of it. Yeah, and, and that's where – that's the – I mean, you you can throw Ali in there too, right? Like Ali is – you don't have a team in boxing. It's you. You're in the ring. It's all you. I mean, you have trainers and coaches and all that stuff, but you step in that ring. It's you against the other guy. Basketball is, is kind of the closest to that, I feel. Like basketball players are playing 80 to 90% of the game. Every game. Right. It's, it's a sport where one player, when you have a first overall draft pick in the NBA, that is a big deal. Huge deal. Right. A first overall draft pick in the NFL, well, you might get a, a top end quarterback, but there's still so many moving parts. The NHL, yeah. it, it just does, it's not enough. In baseball, yeah. don't even get me started. In the yeah. NBA, you get a guy like Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry. Like, if you get someone that is elite, as Michael's showing us in this documentary, he can change every aspect of your franchise. Absolutely. And to have him in there, just like to have like, what is it? 13 seasons for Chicago. And that goes back to, well, why the hell is Jerry Krause saying, yeah, this will be our last season. Then we're going to try and rebuild. It's like you, this is a once in a generation athlete. And you're just going to, yeah, we got six. We'll try and rebuild now. It's like, well, bring them back. <laughs> it doesn't make doesn't make any sense at all. And but, you uh, you wrote down here about uh, Kraus being upset about getting no respect, yet he won executive of the of the year twice. Right. So, like, which is it? Is he getting no respect? Because if you're getting no respect, you deserve the awards, and you're not getting them. But clearly, he's got it twice. Yeah, and it's and it's it's funny to think back. Like, there was no real like sports talk shows back then there's no part in the interruption there's no serious you know 24 hours sports talk back then there's no twitter there's no nothing of that so you wonder if you know some of the people are saying yeah jerry kraus won executive of the year again but really it's because michael jordan's on the team right <laughs> like, it makes a difference absolutely it, it makes a difference right and they, they they have that interview with steve kerr who you know current coach of the year coach for the golden state warriors and they're like is anything you know blah 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 different on your team he's like well he, he tries he kind of come up with like a smart response he goes well michael jordan's on our team <laughs> <laughs> right uh, it's, it's, it's the same true. response of like you know lebron now right it's like well we have you know is anything different about the lakers this year well we have lebron james that's pretty good or you know, how, how do you think, you know, the Pittsburgh Penguins are going to do this year? Well, we have Sidney Crosby. Like, that's pretty good. It helps. <laughs> pretty good place to start. So it's... Uh... Do you think Krause looks back? Because obviously he brought in his other coach who was terrible after yeah. he, he kicked out Phil Jackson. And, of course, Jackson went over to the Lakers and won five more. He has to be able to look himself in the mirror and say, my ego got the best of me. Like this is not a mistake that you make, right? That that doesn't involve personal vendettas or grudges. Like this isn't like, oh, I miscalculated, I re- I regret it. This is no, no, no. I let my emotions get the best of me, and I cost myself 
and the city and, and my owners and, and everyone involved, I cost us because I couldn't keep it together. That's how I take it. I I would completely agree. It's just like he's and he it seemed like he was ready to blow it up after the ninety seven championship. Not even they he didn't even want to come back for this one more. Right? And it's and it's almost like I look back at at uh Again, I bring up Bill Belichick, right? And it seemed like some of the stuff coming out with Tom Brady now is he was ready to, to, uh, to blow it all up after the Atlanta, mm-hmm. after the Atlanta Super Bowl, and say, you know what? Let's let Tom go. We got Garoppolo. Let's build around him. Let's go from here. And the owners and everyone else is like, no, we can't. We can't let Tom go. Like, let's go back. So they trade Garoppolo. They bring Brady back. They win one more. But now. You know, Brady's gone, Gronk's gone, Garoppolo's gone. And, you know, do we see the Patriots winning another championship in the next 25 years? Right? Not until they draft Tua this week. I don't know. He's not going to – they're going to have to move up to get Tua. I think he's going in top 10. He's going to the Dolphins. I'm a big fan of any left-handed quarterback as a left-handed quarterback myself. Are you? Oh, yeah. See, that's such a weird thing when you see people throw left-handed. Is. So we had, I remember in high school, we had a we had a guy who played offense and defense, and I think he led the league in interceptions, but he couldn't catch any of my passes, and it's because the ball was spinning the other way. <laughs> he, couldn't, <laughs> he just couldn't figure it out. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> oh. Okay, we, we have like uh, we've got like a, a few minutes left here. I want to get into one thing that I think is important. You talked about the, the NBA before in the in the eighties and how it wasn't mm-hmm. a global brand. And then you're watching Michael Jordan travel the world. He's obviously playing in Paris by himself because they're yeah. missing Pippen and Robin in that game. And you're just watching the world bow down to this guy. Like he yeah. took the NBA under his wing and turned it into this global phenomenon. Exactly. Like he he took a a sport which where everybody kind of knew it's been in the Olympics. It's you know they've had this professional league in the, in the States, they have professional leagues in Europe, but it's kind of, you know, this underground league and him, you know, combined with, with Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, just blow it up to this worldwide phenomenon. And he's going to, you know, he's, he's the most famous athlete in the world during the nineties. Like everybody knew who he was. And I go, again, I go back to all these people that were reaching out and saying, I, you know, I haven't watched basketball since Michael Jordan was around. I haven't watched you know, this hasn't been exciting since Jordan was around. And it's funny, like, I, I, I personally think the NBA right now is, is a thousand times more exciting than when Jordan played just because of the new rule changes and, and the athleticism all around. But Jordan, like, if you put Jordan in the league right now, he would still be Michael Jordan. Like, there's no – his athleticism and his game is just unbelievable and tr- would – you know, translate into any era of basketball. So he's going all around and he's just blowing up this sport. And it's, uh, it was a different era. And then the NBA went through a kind of a lull for the next decade as well. So they kind of had the, the Jordan hangover. They didn't know who, you know, Vince Carter, you have insanity going on in Toronto. People think he's going to be the next Jordan and you have Kobe. Everyone says he's going to be the next Jordan. And then you, you know, you have obviously have LeBron coming in early two thousands and there just there just has not been another Michael Jordan, nor I don't think there ever will be. Yeah. What do you think about where the NBA was at that point to where it is now, where it's number two sport? 
in in North America. There's just, there's just no way. But there was a moment in one of those in Paris. Jordan's getting ready for his big interview, and there's a guy putting a mic on him. And of course, they're French. And the yeah. guy is, I think he's a reporter of, of some kind. He's asking Michael Jordan for an autograph. Right. And then his manager comes around his, no, not right now. So I'm relatively new to the media world. Uh, I've explored it the past two or three years. And I ask a ton of questions because, well, I've got nothing to lose and everything to learn. That is a no-no. That is an oh, yeah. immediate no-no. You actually lose your job. No-no. Like you are uncredentialed if you do that to someone. And I thought – Michael Jordan is such a big athlete that this guy in Paris is willing to risk his job and say, hey, will you sign this piece of paper for me? Right. Because you are worth it. And that was just a huge perspective to go, wow. Like, yeah. How big are you? Well, people are willing to, to give up the way that they earn a living just for you to scribble on a piece of paper. It just blew my mind. The, the other thing that happened right around that same time is after the game finishes and he's you know congratulating the French team. And the one guy basically rips his sweatband off his arm. Oh, yeah. Like, can, can I have this? As it's like already sliding down his arm. And Jordan's like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's like, you can't even ask before it's off me, uh, off his uh, off his arm. But just like, yoink, I'll take that. <laughs> uh, one but, thing I do uh, want to point out that I love about this documentary is the music. So the music is, for me, it's bang on for yeah. the era that it's filmed in. And obviously that's on purpose, but I'm hearing Mace, I'm hearing LL Cool J. It yeah. it just feels like this wasn't a rushed project. This was a, a work of art that they yes. poured their time into. Yeah, and I think and I think part of that is that they had all this footage and they're like, we're not giving this up unless we get enough money to do it right. And that's where you have, they had to wait until you have documentaries like making a murderer and you have the oj documentary and you have you know all these you know, even tiger king i mean obviously it's you out. said it you said it not me you you've had to come out <laughs> after they greenlit this but you know there's there's this appetite out there for these multi-episode long length documentaries and so you have netflix and espn partner on this and be like sure we'll pay whatever you guys want and and you know here it is and you know talking about music when you have right at the end of the first episode where they do the they have the intro music from the uh alan parsons project oh man like that intro music for the chicago bulls is so iconic so iconic in the 90s like every kid wanted to come out to that music and uh at the big basketball tournament in regina the lit where i where i help out and do some of the stat keeping at they play that song last night of the game every night. They turn all the lights off. They blast that music. They introduce every kid, every kid, and like every kid gets to feel like Michael Jordan for a night. And like I've watched, like I said, I've watched it three times, and every time that comes on, it's just goosebumps when you hear that announcer. He's like, "From North Carolina," and you're just like, I remember being like. <laughs> A twelve-year-old kid in my like in my basement, just jumping up and down, screaming for Michael Jordan, and to see that like come back in, you're just like, yes, it's so good, and just like, and then, and then the other big thing is like they're all getting like, what time is it? Game time, who? And that like everybody stole that. Everybody stole that. Every team, I every basketball team I played on did that because the Chicago Bulls did it. Michael Jordan did it. So. That was just the way to like get ready to play a basketball game. There was one quote in this 
first episode where someone said, I don't remember who said it, maybe you do. No one thought he would become what he became. And that struck me as so profound. And you've alluded to this already in this, in this episode where you have all of these scouts and these GMs and these coaches, and you have everyone watching things and analyzing. And you have someone say, no one thought he would become what he became. How does that happen? How do you have a situation where Michael Jordan is there and you have no idea the potential inside this guy? And I feel like that's what I love about sports is that nothing is guaranteed and nothing is promised. And you're always going to have these surprises where these legends show up and alter sports history. In this case, Michael Jordan is the greatest player of all time. But to think that someone could hang out with him and do the opposite of Bobby Knight and not know how good he was, right. that was a common thing, is crazy. And, it's, and, and like you said, it's nuts. And, but it, it goes back, they do that kind of montage of all the big dudes talking about, yeah, he looks like he has talent, but he's not very big. He's not tall. He's not seven feet tall. I mean, you're coming out of the area, era where it was Abdul-Jabbar. It was, uh, you know, they show like Mark Eaton and even like Magic Johnson, 6'9". Mary Bird's like 6'10". Kevin McHale's seven feet tall. Like, you have all, like the game was dominated by big men and big men is like, 6'10 and bigger, right? Like, you wouldn't have these shooting guards that were that good. This is before, like, three-point lines there, but nobody's shooting three-pointers at all. Nobody knows how to utilize that yet. You have this 6'6 guy, which, you know, as as basketball goes, basketball goes, it's pretty average height, well, if not below to height, To your right? point, Ricky, the general manager of the Bulls drafted him and said we're stuck with Jordan because he wanted – you know, Akeem Olajuwon or someone taller. He said, he's not seven foot tall. I wish he was. Yeah. He's six, six. We're going to have to work with it. And I thought, man, has there ever been a bigger crow or bigger foot put in someone's mouth right. at the end of, at the end of the day. <laughs> and, and if you look back and you know, the, the, uh, the Sam Bowie over Jordan controversy has been there forever, right? Like, Elijah Wan is still, he's one of the great, you know, probably top 20 players of all time. He was an unbelievable prospect at the center position. And that's the most important position in basketball back then. Houston has the first pick. He plays at the university of Houston. Even the, even the Chicago guys like, yeah, if I had to do it all over again, I would have picked Elijah one number one instead of Jordan. (laughs) um, But then Portland who has, Clyde Drexler, who was an amazing player and, and you know, mm-hmm. a Hall of Fame player. And I think he won a, he won a championship or two. I think he won two championships with Houston later on in the 90s when Jordan was playing baseball. But, uh, you know, they're like, well, we can't draft Michael Jordan at number two because we already have a guy who plays the shooting guard. So you let so you pick, a you know, another big center guy who turned out to be nothing and let Chicago get. The, the greatest player of all time. The greatest player of all time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, guy probably has insomnia to this day. Uh, we got about two minutes, Ricky. I want to open the floor for you. If there's anything else you want to get off your plate. Uh, I did love when uh, two things. So they interviewed Jordan. They're like, how's the transition from college to the pros? And he just like kind of shrugs and goes, it's pretty easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> like, Okay, fair enough. Uh, how many people get to say that? And and he wasn't saying it to be cocky or anything. He was just he he was just being honest. He's like, it's it's, it's been pretty easy so far. 
And then the other thing is just, about that. just, just the pictures of the back of him with like Jordan 23 is, is just so iconic. You like, again, just kind of chills. Every time they show that you forget that you're actually watching the actual player. It's not just a picture, right? It's like, you see the Mona Lisa, you know that it's the Mona Lisa. It's a painting, but you see a 23 Jordan jersey, you're like, oh, yeah, that's really nice. But then when you when you get to see it again on the actual player, it's just a whole other a whole other world. That's a great that's a great example. Back in the day, the Mona Lisa would have been a real person, too, right? Like that would have had more context. And- right. And yeah, you're right. The, the 23, the Jordan logo, it is iconic. And everyone knows it. Even someone who never followed basketball growing up like myself, I yeah. knew who Jordan was. I knew what the 23 was. I knew who the Bulls were. And I knew I was going to select them every single time I played NBA Jam because that gave me the best shot to win. Yes. Which is how it worked. Okay, this has been fun. So episode one, go check it out if you haven't. If you have, uh, feel free to leave us a voice message on this, uh, on, on Anchor, or just text us. Uh, you don't have a number, so that's hard to do. You can tweet us. Uh, my, my Twitter's at Sir Greg Moore. You're at Big Regina Rick. Big Regina Rick. And on Instagram, too. We'll be back for episode two. Uh, this has been an education, Ricky. Thank you for taking the time because you – you know basketball and me well we're we're, we're just getting acquainted